0: what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh.
1: For organizations looking to enhance their customer relationships, this is Stepping Up Service. Hello everyone and welcome to Stepping Up Service here on TheMesh.tv. This is our Audio discussion show where we talk about the world of customer service. We talk about customer service providing to customers, to clients, to co-workers, uh, all the different populations we come into contact with during an organization's day. Uh, my name is Alan Jackson. With the Jackson Group, we conduct employee and customer satisfaction surveys for a variety of organizations and industries. And with me, my co-host Ed Gagdon with Customer Service Solutions. Ed, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing great, Alan. How are you doing today?
1: Doing just fine. Doing great. Looking good. forward to a good weekend. We got some good weather and it looks to be uh, nice and warm outside. So uh, should be a fun weekend there to go into.
2: Yeah, definitely excited about it. We've had some uh, heat issues, AC issues in our house and they're oh, fixed no. So, uh, you know, we're going to be good whether we're inside or out. They got fixed today, so I'm thrilled.
1: Just in time then. Just in time as we're yes. recording here on a Friday afternoon. So yes. Ed is with Customer Service Solutions. It's a company where you can find more about them online at cssamerica.com. And their whole mission is to help organizations define, refine, and improve their their customer service culture in their organization. I encourage you to go check out his website at cssamerica.com where you can get blog posts, you can get uh, articles You can see links to great resources, all the kind of great resources to help an organization get stronger in delivering really good customer service. Ed, when you passed on a, a while back about the topic we were going to talk about today, you used the term voice of the customer. Yes. Talking about the voice of the customer. And I love that phrase, but I also think that's a phrase that may be a little hard for some people to kind of get their, their head around. Mm-hmm. So maybe let, let's let's we'll start off talking about as we're talking about this idea of creating your voice of the customer strategy. I got to ask right off the bat what what do you mean by voice of the customer when you get into that?
2: Okay, I'll tell you tell you how I define it and then you uh, go ahead and feel free to piggyback on On what I'm saying, but uh, in terms of voice of the customer, when we use that phrase, especially from a strategic standpoint, it's saying, how do you basically listen to your customer in formal and informal ways uh, and utilize that information to grow your business, improve your business, make the experience better for your customers? So when we think about voice of the customer, we're talking about. How do you actually tap into one of the greatest resources you have to continuously improve and grow your business, which is your customer? And uh, so I'll kind of pause there. But but when I talk about voice of the customer with that definition, um, how would you add on to that or, or how do you view it maybe a little bit differently, if at all?
1: Well, I think you summed it up pretty well. But what I would also add to it is that a lot of times people think, well, voice of the customer, as long as somebody fills out a survey or tells me in person how they feel about what we're doing, that we're listening and that's enough. And I think the voice really goes a lot deeper than that. To me, it's sometimes it's got to find ways to get them to give you input, even though it may not be uh, just, you can't just let it go and just assume that everybody's going to tell you what they want to tell you about the kind of service you're providing. Sometimes you got to go out there and find it and find that voice of your customer. And I think that's uh, something a lot of organizations maybe don't push as hard
2: as they should. Yeah, that's exactly right. And there were even studies done years ago that said for every complaint you hear, for example, there could be up to 26 other occasions of dissatisfaction that you don't hear about. Wow. So if you're relying on your customer to proactively give you feedback, and that is your voice of the customer strategy, you're going to be missing out on a lot of feedback. And your example about people saying, well, we do the surveys or we talk to people face-to-face and and that's our voice of the customer strategy. That's actually one of those responses that creates so much frustration in me. When I talk to Clients or prospective clients about the voice of the customer. Too often they say, "Hey, we do surveys," mm-hmm. or "Hey, we did a focus group last year," or "You know, hey, we already we already do that because you know we we have this uh, particular survey that we launched uh, via the web for anybody we have an email address with that asks these five questions." So when, when they think strategy, they think uh, a one-time point-in-time, "Hey, we did a survey. Hey, we got the information." Kind of approach and. Uh, The reason why it's so frustrating to me is maybe they do that survey, maybe they do that focus group, uh, but they're losing business every year and they don't know how to stop losing business. Or, Or maybe... Uh, They're getting complaints that are so significant that a lot of the customers are complaining straight to the executives of the business and they're wondering, uh, you know, why are they so upset that they're uh, all of a sudden complaining to the executives or maybe their uh, client of ours is, is trying out a new perk or a new benefit. And it really doesn't improve satisfaction or retention, but they don't know why it didn't improve satisfaction or retention. So it's one of these situations where all these symptoms of problems are happening. It's a lost business, complaints being escalated, you're trying different things and they're not working, and they don't know why. So they're conjecturing, you know, they're, they're conjecturing that something's the reason and they're, they're, they're trying to identify what that reason is through conjecture or assumption, but they don't know. And with the voice of the customer strategy, the idea is to know uh, what is really driving these issues, these complaints, these growth opportunities, so you can be better uh, at capitalizing on them.
1: Well, I think you brought up something there. I, I think it's really important as well. Way too many organizations I talk to, uh, even local organizations I'm involved with, will sometimes hear one person's feedback on a product or service, good or bad. Mm -hmm. And take that to be that that is what the customers now want. So in other Mm -hmm. words, so somebody said we ought to start doing it this way. So let's talk about how we can do it this way. And it's one of those things where you need to understand the whole breadth of your customer base and all the different demographics and making sure it's not just always responding to one person who says they like or dislike something. You need to right. know that information, but you've got to put it in perspective with everybody else as well. So right. it's, it's getting rid of those assumptions that, well, if this one person said this, I'm sure that's what everybody feels, and we don't know that for sure.
2: So. Right, because that one person could be the anomaly. You know, It could be that one person out of 10 or out of 100 or out of 1,000 who has a particular issue, and you don't want to make major changes to facilities or processes or policies or personnel Based on one individual, you got to be a little bit more data driven, a little bit more objective, a little bit more strategic about how you go about doing things like that. Absolutely, I completely yeah. agree. and
1: i I think getting information from your customers is so critical, so critical to listen to what they're telling you, but you've got to put it in the right frame of reference. you've got to have the right data around it, and you need to know the whole breadth of your clientele, not just from that one, very, very vocal person, either positive or negative.
2: Right. And the reason why we do it, um, and I'm going to get kind of blunt here, kind of cold here, but the reason why we do it is it's not altruism. You know, we we want to get in a circle and sing Kumbaya with our customers. We want to feel good. And it's the right thing to do. And I love and my that's, customers. That's what
1: we do every Friday afternoon. I mean, you're always ah. invited to the Kumbaya session here at the office. And you
2: never show up. I'm so disappointed. Uh, yes. Well, if you Skyped me into it, I might uh, participate. But I don't know if I'm up for driving to Hickory every day. So yeah, we'll just have a, a, be a
1: giant circle of iPads on people on Skype doing a giant virtual
2: Kumbaya circle. So that would be yeah. perfect. Great. So. Uh, So, yeah, the reasons behind it really are, like I said, just to be blunt and cold, uh, it's the reason to have a voice of the customer strategy is because of money Mm -hmm. and because of decision making. I mean, if if I just have to be totally blunt about it, the reason why you have, uh, first reason why you have a voice of the customer strategy is money. I mean, if you want to retain or renew more of your contracts, more of your accounts, Uh, You want to upsell more to them. You want to cross-sell more to them. You want to proactively get more referrals from them. You have to have a strategy to do that. You don't want to leave money on the table. You don't want to lose customers because you have a lack of information, a lack of a strategic approach for gaining intelligence on your clients. Uh, You you also want to know – Uh, and identify uh, certain areas of your organization uh, of the experience they have with the organization that are satisfaction drivers or dissatisfaction drivers. You want to know uh, what are some of those things that are most important to them when they're evaluating your company versus a competitor, for example. Mm-hmm. Another reason that's monetary is uh, you want to cu- uncover new revenue opportunities. I mean, if you're uh, in constant dialogue with your customers and you're considering a new program, a new service, um, maybe a new location for a facility or something like that, if you're really good at tapping into the voice of the customer, you can uncover some of those new revenue opportunities. Uh, maybe it's a targeting question. You're trying to figure out who to who do you want to retain the most based on who's most at risk of not being retained. So if you do a good job with your voice of the customer strategy, you're targeting, identifying, and then targeting certain folks for those retention or growth opportunities. There's a lot of different reasons that go into the umbrella of money. I mean, there is definitely a financial reason to have a voice of the customer strategy.
1: Well, I think that's a great answer to those people that and I mean, there are people out there that will say, "Well, customer service is all just the touchy-feely stuff. It's just being nice." But at the end of the day, I've got a business to run, and I got to focus on how to make more money and what to do there. What you're saying is spot on. Is that this listening to our customers and getting that voice input is critical to those financial outcomes? Yes. Uh, because there's just so much I love. You know, there's money left on the table sometimes that if we could find out how to harness that information and how to how to use that. This is all about building our business. It's not just making people like us, you know.
2: Yeah, so when you talk about harnessing that information and utilizing it, that gets into the second point that I mentioned. Beyond even money, it's just good to have a voice of the customer strategy for decision-making purposes, for planning purposes. Uh, For example, if you are good at, through your research, in the voice of the customer strategy, identifying what is what are the most important aspects of the experience mm-hmm. that they have with your organization, the relationships that they have with your organization, then you can plan out, well, if I'm a physician's practice, if I'm a dentist, if I'm a restaurant, and these certain aspects, whether it's privacy or whether it's the the, the waiting room or whether it's the, the, the television that, that can distract them a little bit, or maybe it's the quality of the food or the greeting. I mean, if you know specifically what is most important to them, then you can design the experience around what's most important to them. You don't have to worry about investing uh, tons of resources, tons of time, tons of money, and everything because you know what's most important to them. Uh, you know, if you've done a great job in, in through your voice of the customer strategy, doing research on perks and benefits, uh, then at that point, you know, well, which perks and benefits should we emphasize and market, and which of those that are just not necessary because they really don't drive renewals, they really don't drive sales. And you can also use it in decision making for looking at the effectiveness of your communications. You can literally ask questions about, are you aware of this service? Are you aware of this a website function that we have? Are you aware of this product? Are you aware of these sales? And mm-hmm. that way you're actually utilizing your voice, to voice of the customer strategy to gauge the effectiveness of your customer communications and, and education. So along with the money factor, if you're a business, you're constantly making decisions Hopefully, you're, you're doing a good bit of planning as well. And by having this kind of a research strategy, it just helps you to make sounder decisions, do better planning. Great. Well, it sounds like enough reasons for me. So how
1: how do we go about doing this then? So if we've got this idea, we want to build a strategy around the voice of our customer. So teach me, master, here. What <laughs> what do we do?
2: <laughs> Well, the, the way I'm going to teach you today, oh, uh, oh, uh, well, I don't want learning, learner,
1: it, yes. a little grasshopper, so,
2: right. Uh, grasshopper, that's very good, uh, <laughs> it is I am going to put you in charge of a business, Alan. Okay, because I'm not used to that at all, so. <laughs> no, <laughs> this will be a very different business than the one you're used to being in charge of. Okay. Uh, right. You are, are you ready for this? I'm ready. You're a gardening mogul.
1: A, garden, a gardening, model. gardening mobile. Okay, well, I'll go ahead and tell you, and I'm not making this up. I actually even just had a conversation with my wife the other day about how I have decided in the next several years I actually am going to try to start taking up gardening as a pastime. So how how how, how wild is that? How convenient is that to this little example now? So
2: that actually is pretty wild because I just talked to your wife yesterday, Alan, oh. and uh, you know we were chatting about that. So perfect timing. Oh, this is all coming together. Okay, I see. How <laughs> <laughs> well, essentially, as a gardening mogul, you own a series of gardening franchises up and down the East Coast. Ooh,
1: okay,
2: About 50% of your business is the in-store purchases that people typically have. Uh, and 50% is from annual contracts for commercial buildings where you're supplying the plants and uh, all the other fo- foliage and all that sort of thing. So about 50% of these annual commercial contracts. The other 50% is your retail business. Okay. okay. Got it. Got it. I got it. All right. Sure. Making notes what we're right here do. as we sure. talk. So, yes, I'm ready to go. Excellent. We're going to walk through a five-step process for, for dealing with part of your voice of the customer strategy. The first thing we suggest that you do, step one, when you're thinking about the, the strategies, to begin with the end in mind. You know, think about the money we talked about. Think about the decision-making needs that we talk about. And Essentially, step one is you're going to create a laundry list uh, of what are those decision-making information needs, what are those planning information needs, what are those money-related needs. So you're literally going to say for uh, Alan, the gardening mogul's business, uh, you're going to say, when do those commercial contracts come up for renewal? And based on when they come up for renewal, uh, you know, I I need to make sure that I'm renewing X percent uh, of these contracts every year. And uh, you're thinking about your existing recurring uh, walk-in clients. You know, a lot of these are homeowners, et cetera. Uh, And you think about, well, how can I identify which of these may be a business owner? And I can actually maybe uh, get them cross-sold one of our commercial contracts.
1: So what you're saying is you go ahead and be thinking of kind of the – the end result of what you're wanting to learn and how you're going to use that information strategically. So you're already thinking in terms of what am I going to do, the end of the result instead of the beginning. So.
2: Right. So you're not thinking about, well, I need to do a survey. I need to do a focus group, but you know I need to just start talking to my customers more. You're starting more strategically than that. You're saying I want to increase revenue, I want to increase renewals, I want to uh, do more cross-selling between the in-store and the commercial. I want to do more upselling. I want to be a little bit more uh, efficient and effective in targeting certain commercial accounts that I think are more at risk. So you start with the goal that's either a money-related goal or a decision-making and planning information-oriented goal. Okay, got it. Okay. So you have this big laundry list that comes out of step one. These are the key uh, measures I want to improve. These are the key impacts that I want to have. Uh, Step two is you want to to determine a proactive point in time need for each. In other words, uh, exactly when do you need to retain uh, or renew your contracts with your commercial accounts? Mm -hmm. Based on when you need to renew them, let's say it's going to be July 1st every year. That's the start of your your fiscal year. When do you need to know information from those commercial accounts about uh, their likelihood to renew in order to target renewal efforts? Well, I probably need to know this uh, by, uh, let's say, April 1st. I need to know it three months in advance, and that will give me three months to create an approach that's tailored to each one of the commercial accounts. Uh, and therefore, I can implement these different strategies uh, for those for those accounts in that three-month window. So the next thing you'll do in step two is you're actually looking at point in time. If these are the, the measures I want to hit, these are the goals that I have, uh, when do you need to hit those goals? And therefore, by what date prior to that, do you need to have the information that's required to use it to hit that goal? I see.
1: Okay, so we're kind of starting with that goal in mind, and then once you know what your goals and your ultimate needs are going to be, then it's figuring out when you're going to need to start getting information to be able to meet those goals or have those things happen that you set as your, your end result.
2: Right. So you have your goal. You have your date when you want to hit the goal by. And then what we're doing now is we're starting to work backwards. Right. Okay. Step three. Uh, you want to ask this key question and i'm going to say it a couple times because it's a, a lot of words but it th- there's a couple key points in it what information do you need to know from whom and by when okay. so what's the information you need to know from whom and by when so in step 3 essentially what you're saying is if i need to renew people on july 1st what information will help me in my renewal approach to them, Uh, who do I need to get this information from, and when do I need to get the information. So in that commercial contracting example, well, you you probably want to survey your commercial contract uh, accounts. Uh, You need to do that, it seems like, get the information by April 1, which means you might want to start your research process. Uh, by March 1 or February 1, and then the question becomes, well, what's the kind of information that you want to get from them in that February 1 to April 1 window that'll help you in the renewal process? So just as an example, what might be um, a couple pieces of information that you might want to to ask a commercial account Mm -hmm. uh, when you're trying to get them to renew uh, with one of your gardening centers? Oh, I could see things
1: like... um need to know what their uh, perspective uh, needs are from a facility standpoint. Are they looking to add locations? Are they looking to uh, expand operations anywhere? That's the kind of things that'd be good and helpful to know. Uh, it'd be helpful to know what their track history has been on renewals over the past couple of years, just to make sure <laughs> we're kind of moving them in the right direction. Be helpful to see if, uh, if they had orders, purchases, jobs, Outside of what we normally do, that we kind of added in for them throughout this past year that would help us guide maybe a better renewal process for them in the coming year.
2: Mm -hmm. Some of the information I could see right away. Yeah, those are excellent examples. And and you'd also know are they considering renewing or how likely they are to renew? Uh, When they're working with you all, what are the most important aspects of the experience in working with you? So there might be. You know, ten or fifteen different aspects of your organization's attitudes, your processes, your systems, your billing, mm-hmm. your website, the the products themselves, the pricing. You may have all these attributes listed that are part of the experience, and you want them to tell you not only how satisfied they are with them, but how important are they to the renewal decision. So you you did a great job there with what you just laid out, because essentially what you said is uh, these are the attributes that that I need to have information on in order to best renew them down the road. And essentially what you were doing there, Alan, was you were verbally creating surveys mm-hmm. or research tools of some sort that are part of this voice of the customer strategy. I see. So yeah. that
1: kind of information where you're giving the, the customer a chance to tell you where their thought process is, what they're considering for the future, uh, if they're given the opportunity to renew with you, are they planning on it? And if not, why, why would they not be planning on it? Uh, what would be the main things that would cause them to agree to renew with us what would be the key factors that are important to them yeah you're right it's just verbally talking out the things that you would want a survey or even a focus group to kind of give you that
2: information right and if we think back to how i started this i talked about the frustrations i have and i talked to a few of my clients about the voice of the customer strategy and one of the ones i mentioned was the fact that they're losing business and don't know why Well, in this survey that you just verbally constructed, you were talking about reasons why they would stay with you, reasons why they would go, likelihood to stay, likelihood to go. So you're learning that several months before Mm -hmm. the renewal ever happens. Uh, I mentioned complaints, and some get so significant that they can go straight to the executives. Well, instead of you... Alan Jackson, gardening mogul, uh, getting all these complaints directly. If you had a good research process in place and you're asking questions about satisfaction, dissatisfaction months ahead of renewals, mm-hmm. then you're probably going to learn about a lot of issues before they get to the point where they rise to to a communication going to you that, that a lot of your staff or, or managers can handle. So when you think about it, you're not only asking these questions to prep For the renewal process, but you're asking these questions to try to head off issues before they get uh, too bad, before they get escalated too far. It is a whole lot easier
1: to keep a client when you find out that they're dissatisfied and you've got a chance to fix it. Yes. as opposed to them leaving and you find out afterwards why they left and then you got to try to figure out how to get them back. That's almost impossible a lot of times. So.
2: Right. I was actually doing training for a client yesterday and I put up this graphic from this research study done years ago. And, and the research basically said if you have a client with a complaint and you resolve it quickly, you have an 82% chance they'll come back to you. Okay. If you have a customer with a complaint and they make the complaint but you don't resolve it, you have a, I believe it was a 29% they'll come back to you. So big gap. Yeah. But the next percentage is the most interesting. If you have a customer with a significant complaint and they don't tell you at all, mm-hmm. they, you only have a 9% chance they're going to come back. Wow. Right. So, so, you,
1: so if you're sitting there waiting for your clients to tell you when they're having some issues or things they don't like, you're missing so much input. And when they're gone, they are gone. I mean, it's, you're not going to get them back more than likely.
2: Right. And it's even if you take that lower end 29%, even if you don't resolve their complaint, just by getting them to voice the complaint, you have a three times the chance to retain them than if they would have felt the complaint, but you never asked, they never told you, and they never came back. Wow. That
1: is, that's that's yeah. pretty impressive. So, yeah, getting this information, getting this dialogue is critical. So So your third point was trying to really identify what's the information we need, who do we need to be getting it from, when do we need to be gathering it?
2: Yeah. And step four is the how. (laughs) Excuse me, the how. In other words, uh, is this a web-based survey? You know, you would do a web-based survey if you want to keep it low cost, if you have a great email uh, contact database, focus groups. Focus groups is a lot more qualitative. So you're typically doing those more so if you're targeting some premium clients, some high-end clients, and uh, or maybe there's a specific issue that you're wanting to dig really deeply on. Right. Uh, you don't get the quantity of input, but it, you can target certain folks and get more depth in the input. You have intercept interviews. You have telephone surveys. Telephone surveys are great in that uh, you're not waiting for the customer to – reply to an email uh, and virtually everybody will have a telephone that you can access and you can make multiple attempts to access them via the phone and you have a little bit more control over who does and does not complete the survey because you're being proactive as opposed to uh, just looking at those folks who are a little bit more web savvy or don't mind the web survey. So you have to determine in step four the best how to get this kind of information.
1: And in some situations, it may be a combination of vehicles as well. I mean, you're exactly, you're looking at a a wide variety of populations for any company, you know, yes, web internet surveys are good, but they do tend to skew a little on the younger side. Telephone is good, but it is also one of those things where with mobile phones and less and less people using the phone truly as a phone, it's becoming a little harder using telephone for residential type work. Um, Focus groups, like you said, are great for the qualitative work, but you're not going to be able to pull a true representative valid sample that represents your entire organization from a traditional focus group. So sometimes it's just a combination of the measures to find out what's going to fit
2: certain pockets of our population better than others. Yeah. And the fifth step is basically just... And now that you've laid out a lot of these key points, this is our goal, step one. This is basically when we need to have the information for that goal, step two. Step three is, okay, what are the performance attributes? What do we need from whom and by when? Step four uh, talks about uh, exactly how are we going to get in. Step five basically that's when you fill out your Gantt chart, you fill out your project plan, you create your voice of the customer strategy, and you identify your point people. Who's going to be responsible for this? Who are the stakeholders who are going to be involved? What's the process going to be like? So instead of saying we're going to do a survey, you start with the end in mind, and you end up with a survey that's going to get the information you need in order to leverage the voice of your existing clients to retain more dollars, to sell more dollars, to do it in an efficient targeted and effective manner.
1: And you know, Ed, there's so many organizations I know that over the years, I hear them say, well, we're going to do a survey of our customers, or we're going to do a survey of our employees or whatever it may be. And they haven't gone through any of these steps. They're basically just saying, you know what, We, we think we need a survey. So it's a very generic survey. It's very standard, maybe for their industry they get the data back and just they're not really it's not really data they can use because they didn't go through that definition process of all this of stating what the goals are for it and how they're going to do it and really thinking through all that information if you just sign on and say yep let's do a survey and sure through the web sounds good let's do it and there's no rationale for all those steps then you are kind of setting yourself up for a tough process as far as how that data is really going to be useful to you.
2: Yeah, and one last key point before we uh, uh, pause here after uh, this initial layout of the voice of the customer process. When you were talking there about surveys, a lot of companies doing a web-based survey and thinking that's all that's needed. One major mistake I see so many companies doing nowadays is when they do the web-based survey, uh, they use a generic email link. So basically, you cannot attribute any response back to any individual respondent. So that might give you good general overview information on your customer's experience. But if you're trying to renew a contract, you're trying to get more sales from existing clients, and you don't know that Joe customers said A, B, and C, and then Mary customers said D, E, and F. If you don't know that specific information that you can link back to that specific account, probably 70 or 80% of that information is absolutely useless. You have got to be able to tie it back to the individual account.
1: And I know sometimes people are concerned about doing that because of confidentiality purposes or maybe it's a more complicated technical process. You know, I'm with you. I think, you know, the more you can deliver unique links to the survey that will identify the person taking the survey without them having to go in and fill in all these demographic questions, the fallback position is, yeah, you can send everybody to a survey or administer a survey and ask a whole lot of demographic questions to try to get that information, But just think about what you're doing to that customer. You're asking them to fill out a lot of information about themselves when you may already have that information about them on your system. Exactly. There's no point in asking them for things they they shouldn't have to provide you. So it's more of a convenience for the person taking the survey to go ahead and link it to their data so that way they don't have to give you all that demographic background information.
2: Right. Just one anecdotal story relating to that. We're doing survey work now uh, for some pro sports organizations, and uh, there's a lot of different information that we're getting on the client's database, such as – and this is uh, a situation where it's a motorsports client. Uh, Are they a camper or not? Are they buying tickets just for one race or for an entire weekend? Are they – Uh, a first-time season ticket holder or first-time ticket holder or long-term? Are they season ticket holder or just an event, uh, that particular event that time of year season ticket holder? So there's about eight or ten different attributes that we get on some of these databases that we could plug into a survey, make the survey a lot longer, Mm -hmm. but since they give it to them on the contact database, we don't have to ask those on the survey. So when we do the analysis, we can still stratify based on those factors, but we're not having to unnecessarily lengthen the survey to get that kind of information.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you on that. So it's good to good to have that wealth of data at your fingertips when you administer a survey. So, Ed, we've gone through the five steps that rec- you recommend kind of in helping start to de- define how we get that voice of our customer together. Um, the five steps there are kind of working backwards a little bit, but getting us yes. to the point where at the fifth step, we're actually filling out our project plan and kind of know who's going to be handling it and who's going to be doing what. So – are we okay to take a quick break and then we'll come back sure. and follow up, circle back and see what next uh, process you recommend
2: following yeah, up on that. It sounds great. Good, good. Sounds great. Let's take
1: a quick little break. We'll be back with stepping up service here on the mesh in just a moment.
0: We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to the mesh an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports, to entertainment, music, to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at TheMesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Hello and welcome back to Stepping Up Service here on TheMesh.tv.
1: I'm Alan Jackson with The Jackson Group and Ed Gagman with Customer Service Solutions. We're talking about creating your voice of the customer strategy. But before we get back into that, just a quick reminder that you are listening to this show on the mesh.tv network. So, The Mesh is really an online network of original programs and produced programs from other avenues that we are pushing through this network and making free to the public through Apple iTunes, Stitcher Radio and some other different podcast mediums and formats. All the shows are available on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. You can go online and subscribe to all of our shows for free. When you subscribe to it, that means that you're going to get new episodes downloaded to you automatically whenever they're released without you having to go hunt and find them yourself. Uh, So we really encourage you to subscribe to any of the shows you like. We do have a variety of shows on the Mesh Network, ranging from business to entertainment to uh, uh, music to sports. Everything in between. So a lot of different opportunities and things to listen to. We encourage you to go check out our website at TheMesh.tv and uh, learn more about the network. So, Ed, let's get back into this voice of the customer strategy. So we just finished up a second ago talking through the five steps you recommend on going about defining and getting that voice information and data. What needs to be the process for that? So what what's next? What, 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 do,
2: what do we do at that point? Well, I want us to think about that five-step process we just went through for those more point-in-time oriented information needs where we need to renew by a certain date or we need to make a decision by a certain date or we need to have this planning information gathered by a certain date. Uh, What I'm going to do now is walk through a very similar process, but this is dealing with just ongoing operations, ongoing experience. It's not necessarily for a point in time to make a real specific decision. uh, decision, or, or because some renewal contract is coming up. So as opposed so,
1: to trying to get a snapshot of where you are with either a potential client or a group of clients, this is more of it becoming part of your your day-to-day operations.
2: Exactly. So think about Alan, the gardening mogul. Yes. And Alan, the gardening mogul, uh, wants to keep his thumb, his, I guess his green thumb, oh, green keep thumb. his green thumb uh, on the pulse of the experience in his stores up and down the east coast so you want to
1: and i got so excited about the idea of gardening that during the break that we took i went ahead and planted uh i think i got some corn i got some tomatoes and uh something else i can't quite identify but the seed looked really cool so i went ahead and planted it so we'll see what it is in a few months i went ahead and did it I i know it was only a 30 second break but i'm a really good gardener now so thanks for getting me inspired to do that
2: well, I'm happy to do that, and I know that the room you're in has no windows, so I'm not really expecting much out of those plants. But that's
1: <laughs> choice, chance for moisture or uh, sunlight or anything yeah. else. Yeah, uh, maybe I need
2: to rethink uh, this. But... A learn and learn, So, well, Alan, based on that background, when you think about one of your typical retail garden centers, uh, what aspects of the experience do you want to get customer feedback on so you can continuously improve the experience?
1: I'd really like to get feedback on the the selection that they have available to them of products that we sell in the store. I'd like to see uh, the customer service mentality of the staff they come into contact with and uh, maybe even wait time, you know, just checking out and all that would be some things that would be pretty important to me.
2: Okay. Well, that's great. Cause that goes back to what CSS, our company calls the three drivers of customer satisfaction. It's attitude process and product. And you talked about employee attitudes and is the customer service oriented. You talked about wait times, which is a process characteristic. You talked about product selection, which obviously is product related. So that's great. And if any organization is wanting to design a survey that gets a comprehensive look through the customer's eyes of the experience, uh, along with throwing in the facility, if it's it's got a physical location, those are the three areas that, that we suggest they focus on attitudes of employees, processes and products. Those are great examples, Alan. Good, thank you. So, yeah. Great job. So
1: I know what I'm uh, doing here. I'm a, I'm a gardening <laughs> mogul. I mean, I've been at this a long time now, so I kind of I kind of have the experience under my belt.
2: Yes, you have the modesty there too. I'm I impressed. Yeah, so I yes, on that as well. yeah. yeah. So step one, you're you're basically defining what aspects of the experience do I want to get feedback on. Step two gets into that same long question I asked when we were going through the process of of retention of decision making. It's basically what information do you need to know from whom and by when. And maybe the by when isn't as important as it was in the other case when you're dealing with renewal deadlines and and decision making and planning and and all those sorts of things. But it goes back to, for example, if you're talking about processes, what are some examples of the kind of information about your processes? You brought up wait time, for example. What What are some examples of processes that a customer could experience as a customer of one of Allen's Gardening Retail Centers?
1: Uh, Let's see, process-wise would be uh, if they're having things delivered to them, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe they're shopping online, you know, delivery of the product. Uh, If it's something that is on back order at our store or not available and we're going to have it delivered to them or sent to them or ready for them to pick up at a later date, how is that process run? Is it smooth? Do we feel like our customers are kind of being kept informed and communicated with? You know, if they're able to get signed up for, newsletters or catalogs or anything else. I mean, are they getting that information and sharing that process uh, efficiently as well?
2: Yep. So those are great examples. And and so essentially what you're doing here is after you've identified some of those key groupings of the experience that you want to analyze, then you're going into this step two where you're saying, well, what are the specific attributes, the uh, specific pieces of information I want to gather about the experience within each of these categories. And just like we were doing we're talking about the decision making, the money oriented uh, voice of the customer strategy. Here, we're starting with the end in mind, and in step three, we're, we're starting to go backwards even further, where we're not only saying this is the information I needed by when, but now what kind of research tool do I need to construct to gather that information? And oftentimes, with what you're talking about with the customer experience, you are more likely to use a focus group, for example, because you are talking about the experience, you know what it's like to to uh, find our business in the first place via the web, in the paper, you know, whatever the case might be. What is it like to physically find our facility? Uh, What's it like when you first walk in? What's that first impression? Is it easy to navigate? So when you're talking about the experience, uh, you you can definitely decide that focus groups uh, might be more likely to be one of those aspects of uh, one of those research tools that you might utilize. Uh, But in this case, you're, you're definitely in step three saying, is this a survey? Is it a focus group? Is it an intercept interview? What's the best method to gather that information?
1: And again, I always talking back to the idea of you do a survey when you want to get a good representation from a certain demographic or group. You use a focus group if there's any ambiguity in the data you have received in the past or if there are certain key things that you really want to hone in on and get the most descriptive, qualitative examples of ideas possible. So yeah. both, both processes definitely serve their purpose. And I think they, they can be used together, they can be part of the same process, or they could have their own independent goals either way.
2: Yeah, just to give you a real specific example of that, we just completed a large-scale survey uh, for a particular client. It was uh, both hard copy and web-based survey. We got a lot of data, and a lot of the data showed that uh, this was for a regulatory organization, that there were complaints and issues relating to inconsistency of information or employee attitudes and things like that. Well, uh, you could you could use the word inconsistency and you could try to define and come up with a half a dozen different definitions. Or you could uh, think about employee attitudes and and come up with a half a dozen different definitions of what's a bad employee attitude. But what we ended up doing on a secondary level is we said, let's do focus groups. And if people bring up these points, let's say, well, give me an example of what you mean by bad attitude. Give me an example of what you mean by inconsistency. And, and that allows in a focus group that, for there to be deeper dialogue to understand how could people interpret an interaction as being a negative attitude from an employee or how could people interpret information being given as being inconsistent. So you're not just hearing they're feeling about what the issue is but you're understanding what causes them to draw that conclusion yeah
1: absolutely i think focus groups are very very valuable for that process i agree so you've decided kind of how you're going to administer this process what kind of vehicle to use or uh, methodology to use to get the kind of information you're looking to gather and then uh, what do we do after that
2: and step four is just like step five in the previous example. That's when you, as with all good planning, you're identifying your point people. You're laying your schedule out through the year. When are we going to do the focus groups? When are we going to do the web surveys? When are we going to do the phone surveys? When are we going to do the intercept interviews or whatever other research methods that you utilize? You're actually planning to strategically gather different information during the year or from year to year so that you can strategically evaluate and make decisions to continuously improve the customer experience.
1: So really, you know, it sounds like to me what we're talking about is the process for going in and doing this, getting the voice of your customer on a snapshot basis for a certain time of the year or just to get a good understanding. It carries forward a lot of the same process steps as building this into an ongoing part of your culture in an organization
2: in general, right? Yes, definitely does. The The difference is obviously in the first case, we're dealing with money and some of those decision making Factors You're doing it because you're trying to time the receipt of the information so you can make decisions and and leverage it for additional revenue or retention growth. In the other case, it's just an ongoing, continuous improvement uh, of your experience. And you're not necessarily looking to use this information for a specific account. You're using it to improve internally.
1: Okay, so we've got our processes in place for helping develop that voice of the customer strategy sounds like a lot of it is just really making sure you're going into this process with the end goal in mind. You know what you want to learn from the process. You know what you're looking for. Um, And picking the right kind of vehicle uh, to get the kind of information you're looking for. Uh, And then, you know, then just going ahead and pulling the trigger, putting together that project plan and just making it happen. Uh, I admire those organizations who have weaving something like this into their constant day-to-day operations. Yes. Always looking for feedback. It's not just a well, it's survey time, so let's pull out the old survey and send it out to everybody and then we're done with it for a few years. It's really this idea of this, we constantly are wanting feedback from our clients. And I think you can tell the difference between somebody who is giving you a survey because they know they're kind of have to because it's just that time to do a survey with our customers versus those that really are seeing this as a valuable tool to their process and they're planning on using the results. I mean, I think there's a real difference in organizations and you can sometimes pick up on that when you get a phone call survey or something else, you can kind of tell is this a really passionate project for them or is this something they're doing as part of a checklist that they just got to get through?
2: Yeah. So we we had one client where we designed seven different surveys across seven different customer groups and multiple methods of doing research. And two years later, they had actually implemented one of those surveys. Mm -hmm. We have another client where we do a biannual survey for them and they have this one particular room where they put in all their technology plans for the year, all their system plans for the year. And as a part of this tremendously large Gantt chart that literally is printed and put uh, on three different walls in this one conference room, the survey and some of the specific recommendations coming out of the survey are in there just with technology changes. They've actually built it into their continuous improvement work plan. So one organization gets it the other organization really doesn't get it. The, the Maybe the, not, the intent is there, but the strategic approach, the voice of the customer strategic approach uh, that is focused on, I need this information to make this decision to earn this money, that part's missing. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, I think you and I both ran the same circles with many similar organizations over the years. So we've seen our yes. fair share of both both of those types of organizations well i don't think we can express strongly enough the need to have that handle on your 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 customer's voice and really that's the things that they're saying and the things that they haven't said yet but we need to find out a way to get them to tell us so we're making some good intelligent decisions we're reaping the financial benefits from it and we're keeping a very engaged client base along the way as well so yes right Ed, thanks so much for your time on that. Now, sure. we always do wrap up our show with our customer service story of the month, kind of our uh, own personal story of something we've encountered in the past few weeks that we think has some, some uh, significance in the world of customer service. Do um, you mind if I go first? No, feel free. Okay, great. So this past weekend was my birthday.
2: Oh, yes. Happy hey. birthday. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, yep. Belated.
1: No, that's all right. I'm uh, 23 and very, very happy to be uh, that age. So uh. is that uh,
2: 23? That's not in dog years, correct? That's uh, actual <laughs> yeah. human years. It's probably a little
1: closer to the dog year equation. But uh, yeah, uh, I'm trying to re- retain that younger age as long as I can or tell people that anyway. I don't think I'm fooling anybody <laughs> anymore. Um so I decided something I wanted to do for my birthday is I, I've never been on a zip line before. Always wanted to go. Thought it'd be fun to go do. So I took the family to go zip lining, and we found a place that's pretty simple. You know, not a very extreme course or anything. It's uh, kind of for people who have never really done it before. Then we, we go. I'm a little more the adventure, adventurous one in our family. I'm willing to do anything most of the time, and I normally have to drag them along. Uh, sometimes kicking and screaming to do these things. So we decided we are going to go to this facility uh, just not too far away from where we live and got there, and we weren't sure what to expect. It's kind of a new foreign thing for us, and, you know, we were kind of playing the family where we ask a lot of questions and we're trying to figure things out so we know what we're getting into. I do have to say that when you take an experience like this where you're going to have a physical encounter, a physical experience that could be, scary for some of the people it could be nerve-wracking it could be having to calm a lot of nerves personality of your staff really has a huge impact on that and this was an example where the staff of this organization really did a great job of making everybody feel so comfortable Uh, my kids were very nervous about it you know they're 12 and 7 and uh, even though we got up to the top we did all the bridge and climbing stuff getting up there they just decided at the very last moment you know they're looking down <laughs> from the oh. height and they're like, you know, we're, we can't do this. So yeah. we tried, we tried our best to encourage them. They still just couldn't do it. So one of the the guys up there with us said, that's not a problem. I'm going to take them all the way back down. And so it was a good 20 minute process for him to take my kids back all the way down mm-hmm. and all the way back to the facility and set them up with a, something to watch on TV and kind of relax a little bit while we were waiting for my wife and I to finish going through the course. And, you know, there wasn't even a hesitation. There was no like sign of frustration on their behalf that they're having to take time away from the tour that we're on to go do this. He honestly just doubled back, took the kids back, made them feel so OK with the fact that they just weren't ready to do this quite yet. Got them set up back at the headquarters, comfortable, and then came to join us back up on the on the tour again right away. How with, about a smile, that? with a smile on his face the whole time, not a single hesitation, no guilt, con- guilty conscious or anything. That made that whole process so much better because, you know, that that could have gone really bad. That could have been a very big frustration for a lot of people. And yes. these guys, I think, were trained really well on let's make this a fun experience for everybody no matter what. You know, and yes. I think that was so important there. So I just really had a good experience with that organization this past weekend.
2: Yeah, that, that's wonderful. I mean, we uh, oftentimes talk about the single greatest quality uh, of somebody who's good at customer service. Uh, is that they're empathetic, you know, they're understanding. And, and you don't have to feel what other people feel, but if you could try to understand what they feel, I mean, I'm sure these are guys or, or ladies uh, who are the employees who have, almost 100% comfort in doing what y'all were doing. Mm -hmm. And yet they could still relate to the anxiety of the seven-year-old and the 12-year-old of the need to feel calm and be in a relaxing environment with the TV and all that and feel settled and comfortable. So these are folks who, uh, you know, they're dealing with somebody that or something that could be Mm -hmm. danger-oriented. And yet they were empathetic enough to realize, hey, not everybody has this. Uh, low uh, level of fear for for a situation like this. You know, there, there's plenty of people who would be anxious, be nervous, and I need to be understanding of that.
1: You know, and even better, I didn't even think about this until just now. When they took my kids back down, so my kids had already gone through half the tour with us. Half the tour was just going up, up and up and up another level through rope bridges and other climbing apparatus until we got to the actual true zip line part. They took the kids all the way back, came back to us and let us continue doing the tour at that point and as soon as we landed they right away said well listen we're going to give you a credit back for the two kids on this wow because, you know it, it, we, you shouldn't have to pay for the whole for the tour if they didn't do the whole thing and i thought man not only did they take another extra 20 minutes out of their schedule to to take care of my kids my kids did get to experience almost half of the experience but they didn't even hesitate in saying no we're going to give you credit on this because that's that's the that's the right thing to do yeah, I, mean, I didn't even have to ask about it. That was just volunteered to me right away. So again, they really they knew what they were doing with regards to making that experience a really a really positive one. So
2: yeah, it kind of makes you think that it's part of their culture yeah. uh, because they were so quick to make those decisions and so empowered to make those decisions. You got to feel that that's part of the culture of that organization. Absolutely. So I was really yeah. impressed with that.
1: So Ed, yeah. are you going to end us on a positive note or a more uh, more frustrating note?
2: I'm ending on a frustrating oh, note, no, so no, that's okay. yeah, All right. yeah. I, I know that last few uh, podcasts seems like your story hasn't been positive, mine has been positive. So it's interesting we flipped without even talking about it today. Uh, but lay it on me, what do we got? Well, uh, I'll start out by saying this is a big big box home improvement store story, so you can pretty much imagine why it's not positive. Uh, uh, but essentially, uh, it was the the story of the Black Tomato. My wife has a tomato plant on her back porch, and it's yeah. growing like crazy. And the top of the tomatoes are wonderful green. You can tell they're getting ready to be ripe. But when you flip it and look on the bottom, it's black. Every tomato is black on the bottom.
1: Well, kind I just go on record as saying that in my gardening superstore chain? Yes. Uh, that would not ever be the case. You would never have black tomatoes. I'm just going to go ahead and say you guys probably need to pick a different place to shop next time. So,
2: Well, it's interesting because my wife went to Alan's uh, gardening center after she went to the big box home improvement store after I did, and, and she got the right answer. So that's basically what the story is. <laughs> Uh, she had this tomato with an issue the black bottom tomato and uh, when we went there we, we know we have issues at this uh, home improvement store but we know there is one lady with the best attitude who is just an expert in all things plants in the gardening center sure. so I to go there to get one of my 63 bags of pine bark mini nuggets, which is a totally different story. Uh, and here I walk in with this black tomato, and I'm looking around for my go-to lady in the garden center. I ask for help because I don't see her, and there's literally four employees standing uh, around me in the garden center, and they say, she's not here. And I show them the tomato, and all I get is a bunch of dull stares mm-hmm. uh, for about you know five or ten seconds. And then all of a sudden, one of the employees walks up to me, and he says, let me see. He looks at it, and he says, that's a fungus. And he starts walking. So I'm just standing there and I'm like, I guess I ought to follow him. So I start walking (laughs) after him. He goes into the main store, doesn't talk to me at all as we're walking into the main store. He goes into this chemical, plant chemical section, and he's just staring at the chemicals. And so after about 10 or 15 seconds, I ask what he's looking for. He said in uh, very technical terminology, he said, I'm looking for a green bottle. Mm -hmm. So I start looking at green bottles, and I see a couple that have a little bit of green on them. And I said, well, what specifically are you looking for? I'm not sure what the brand is, he says, but it's a green bottle. So we're standing there looking for green bottles in the chemical section. He doesn't know. He says, sorry, uh, it's a fungus. I don't see the green bottle. I've gotten the green bottle. For some folks, it it works, uh, but we just don't have it. He turns, and he walks away. Wow. Yes, so that was, I guess, uh, their example of going above and beyond. I brought it home to my wife and she said, uh, oh, well, not surprised. Uh, I'll just try to go back there when the, uh, our go-to lady's there. And instead she went to our, uh, Allen's Gardening yeah. Center. Right. And uh, she actually did find somebody at the gardening center, and this individual said, oh, that's that's not a fungus. That's actually indicative of a lack of calcium in the soil. Hmm. Here's some spray. Just spray it on your plants. Put some of it in the soil. And uh, by having more calcium, uh, then they'll grow with, without that black part on the bottom. Interesting.
1: Now, are you sure that that individual at the big box store that was trying to help you, are you sure he worked there? Because it sounded like he might have just been somebody just randomly walking
2: around. Uh, so you're pretty sure he was actually an employee? He's actually helped me with Pine Bark Mini Nuggets before, mm. and he had one of those red jackets on. So I'm pretty sure that he has helped. But, uh, yeah, he – he. Um, uh, I, I think he knows enough to be dangerous, but I guess the big tip is uh, sometimes no help is better than help.
1: Well, I was gonna uh, say that's actually more frustrating. I would actually, I, I thought your story was gonna end with the four people giving you just the vacant stairs, and I thought, yeah, that's pretty bad. But actually, to be walked. Without any real instruction, no further information, very kind of quick answers, and still not give you any resolution is actually worse. So,
2: right, yeah, and the fact that he diagnosed the problem incorrectly, yeah, uh, and and didn't give me uh, the the, cons- the the thought that hey, he didn't know what he was talking about. So you got to know your stuff, and if you don't know your stuff then tell the customer, hey, this isn't my area of expertise, let me find somebody who is, let me take a picture with my smartphone, I'll contact the gardening lady, I'll get your phone number, I'll call you back because I don't want to provide you some misinformation. Have you buy something I'm not sure will work. So uh, sometimes if you don't know the answer, don't pretend like you do. It could turn out worse for you and the customer.
1: Absolutely. And unfortunately, I don't want to label all of the bigger monolithic department stores the same way, but... That is a danger that I think people who run those larger stores have to be keep in mind, is that you can stock a lot of inexperienced people, probably a lot cheaper than you could, but it's the ones who really know their stuff are the ones we're going to seek out yes. and be disappointed when we can't find that person. Because <laughs> yes. there are a lot of those stores that do have that one person that you just know, that person knows their stuff, and it makes it that much more obvious when that person's not there how how poor the rest of the quality experience is. So. Yes, exactly. All
2: right. So, well, start in with a negative element
1: yeah, that 's all right you know we hadn 't ended with a negative one, I think collectively in quite a while as the last one of the show, so Let's go ahead and roll it out there. That's fine. And uh, we we treat all these negative stories as still good learning opportunities for anybody listening. Let's take the positive from it going forward. Well, Ed, thanks so much for your conversation today. Your voice, as we talk about the voice of the customer and the importance of developing that strategy for it. Again, and I I know as people listen to all these shows, there's some common themes that are being recommended and talked about. And that's on purpose because what we are talking about are things that – it, the, the key messages about listening and communicating and using information and finding out about your, your customers are so absolutely critical. And I think, Ed, thanks for kind of summing that up for us and getting us on track of how we go about uh, developing some of that strategy to learn what our customers are thinking and wanting to tell us. So, Sure. Um, you can learn more about Ed and his company, Customer Service Solutions, at cssamerica.com. That's the website for Customer Service Solutions where you can hear and see all about what they're doing. You get links to this podcast in particular, newsletter you can sign up for, blog posts, links to articles, all the good stuff that Ed is putting up there with his team. That can be of help. Uh, And then, of course, if you have further needs and real more developed needs for your organization, uh, definitely reach out to them at Customer Service Solutions. I know for a fact that they can help you out with that. And then on my end, you've got thejacksongroup.com. That's T H E Jackson Group, all one word, .com, where we work with organizations on gauging in the engagement level, uh, satisfaction level of employees, the uh, the retention level of customers and patients, and where they feel about the experience, and help you understand that data and how to use it. So. For Stepping Up Service, this is TheMesh.tv. Please check us out online on iTunes or Stitcher Radio or on the Mesh website at TheMesh.tv. And drop us a note and let us know what you think of the show or some ideas for future topics. Ed, I hope you have a great weekend.
2: Thanks. You too, Adam. Appreciate it.
1: Thanks for talking with me again, and we'll look forward to talking to everybody next month. Take care.